Let's finish chapter 18. You'll remember we've been watching Babylon die uh, since chapter 16, a long, slow, painful, agonizing death. Uh, we've seen chapter 16, uh, after the seventh angel poured out his bowl, there was a great earthquake and the great city was split into three parts. Then the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God, not necessarily a good thing, to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. Chapter 17, the ten horns which you saw. Remember the ten horns are a seeming confederation of ten kings speaking uh, perhaps of all cities and all nations and all empires of the world. Uh, they, along with the beast, uh, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh. It's very gory. And will burn her up with fire. Verse 18 tells us the woman you saw, uh, that we saw, is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So in some way, the cities, nations of the world, led by the beast or the Antichrist, will in civil war fashion rise up against Babylon, in some way Babylon, a future city or empire which seems to rule the earth. By the way, when we looked at chapter 17 a couple of weeks ago, that was the first Sunday that we introduced those note sheets um, for elementary age children, even middle schoolers. Uh, one of the spaces on that sheet says, draw something that you heard in the sermon today, or, or sung in a, uh, sang in a song, I couldn't wait to see what the kids drew about chapter 17. At the end of the service, Jason Crawford showed me a picture. Um, his seven-year-old daughter, Sophia, uh, drew. Here it is. It was perfect. Notice a beast with a rider. If you look closely, you'll see seven heads with exactly, I counted, ten horns. Well done, Sophia. Notice the caption, the girl... On the beast. I guess that's better than the harlot on the beast. <laughs> anyway, last week in chapter 18, we saw an angel coming down um, from heaven, crying out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Why had she fallen? Verses 3 and 5, for all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her immorality. The kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. The merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality, could be translated luxury, for her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. I, I don't think you want to be remembered by God in that way. I don't think you want to him to remember your sins. And then we remember Jeremiah wrote of the new covenant, speaking of this undeserved mercy of God, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. That's the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. That's, that's Israel. Not like the covenant I made uh, with their fathers in the day. I took them uh, by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, that's the Mosaic Covenant. Although I was a husband to them, don't miss that. I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. That's where we want to be. That's unbelievable. Incredibly, are you ready? The author of Hebrews applies the provisions of the new covenant uh, to us dirty, rotten Gentiles. 
Those who believe in the gospel through the work of His Son, God will remember our sin no more. Meaning, when it says he will not remember them, he will not hold them, uh, our sins, uh, to, uh, uh, to our account since they have been atoned, they have been paid for by Jesus. If that does not cause you to say hallelujah, hallelujah. then nothing will. Babylon, however, has fallen because her sins have been remembered, piled up to heaven, not atoned by grace through faith in Christ. Now, We've seen that while the word immorality speaks of sexual immorality, it is likely a reference to idolatry. Although I was a husband to her, right? All that comes with it. In the Old Testament, whenever Israel worshipped false gods, it was often referred to as being unfaithful, adultery, immorality. But if you stop and think about it, if you leave the, the true God and His character and commands, you are free to indulge in all kinds of sins to include, well, sexual immorality. Exactly. Exactly why many do leave, walk away, deconstruct, apostatize, deny the faith, choose your poison to engage in sin. Well, then from verses 9 and 19 of chapter 18, we saw three, uh, we see three groups of people singing a funeral dirge for the destruction of Babylon. Kind of interesting, fascinating. Why would they do that? Because we've noticed some similarities between these three groups. In all of them, those lamenting the fall of Babylon have somehow been involved with her. In all three, they cry out, whoa, whoa, the great city is no more. In all three, they stand at a distance because they know they deserve her punishment, don't want to get too close. In all three, they notice the swiftness of her destruction. In one hour, your judgment has come. And in all three, their mourning is not so much for her, but for themselves, for what they lose because she is no more. The first group we saw was the kings who committed immorality um, uh, with her and lived sensually, luxuriously with her. The second group was the merchants of the earth because no one buys their cargo anymore. We looked at that list, the, the manifest, if you will, the luxury items, and noted that we have many of them in our homes, certainly something to, to ponder. We also noticed the merchants had grown rich from Babylon, which brings us to the third group to lament her passing, found in verses 17 to 19. Look at that with me. In the middle of verse 17, and every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea stood at a distance and were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she has been laid waste. By the way, this is the outline of chapter 18 from last week. We saw the fall of Babylon, the call for believers to flee um, Babylon, the, the three funeral dirges, uh, the call for heaven and God's uh, people uh, to rejoice. We haven't gotten to that yet. That's interesting. And then the result of the destruction of Babylon. We're near the end of that third point. And by the way, we will get into chapter 19 where we will see all of heaven and earth responding to this call 
from heaven for God's people to rejoice. And don't miss the similarities to the other groups that we saw last week, the text we just read. First, we see these um, people of the sea, which include the shipmasters. They're they're likely the captains. Uh, The the passengers could be the merchants, um, the the sailors, and, and all those who make their living by the sea, merchants, perhaps fishermen, lamenting the destruction of Babylon because they made their living through her by carrying the merchants of their cargo and their cargo to her. More, they were made rich. Everyone, you see, was getting a piece of the action, the action of Babylon. We're not supposed to, of course, but everyone was getting a piece of the action, and they were thereby culpable. So these were standing at a distance, not wanting to get too close because they had been involved with her. They cry out, uh, what city is like the great city (laughs) as she's burning? What a response. She was the greatest of all cities of the earth, leading the rest of the city, the rest of the earth, into idolatry and immorality. I can't help but wonder how the people of our nation, if we still exist, will respond to the destruction of our great cities of power and of wealth. And as we see all that is going on in our country, I have to ask myself the question, is this a result of God's judgment? These people of the sea lament further, throwing dust on their heads, an outward symbol of severe mourning. They cry out, woe, woe, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth. We've noted their mourning is selfish, for they became rich by this particular trade. They lament her passing, for in one hour she had been laid waste. One hour speaks of a short period of time. All three laments seem to express shock by the speed with which she is no more. This leads us to the next point, a rather interesting one, the call for all of heaven and even God's people to not lament, but to rejoice over her destruction. Again, the question could be asked as we watch our nation going, as a friend of mine says, to hell in a handbasket, what is our response? Is it to lament the, the, the downfall of the nation or is it to lament the immorality that has led to the downfall of the nation? Look at verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, saints, God's people, apostles, the 12 prophets, both Old and New Testament, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. At first glance, this appears a little shocking. You mean we're supposed to rejoice because Babylon and all that she represents gets hers? She gets what's coming to her? In a word, yes. Yes, we are. Well, 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 what's the deal? How is it believers are supposed to rejoice in, even celebrate the destruction of Babylon, which is clearly not just talking about buildings and commerce and, and economics. What about the people? We, we rejoice over the judgment, condemnation, and eternal destruction of people? Notice the end of verse 20, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. That presupposes, of course, 
that we are not her. That we have been oppressed or opposed by her. And we've been living a Christian life that has been in opposition to the culture around us. Drop down to verse 24. And in her, Babylon, was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain. Believers is the idea on the earth. Chapter 19, verse 2, we haven't read yet. For he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality. That's the first reason. And he has avenged the blood of her bondservants on her. That's why we rejoice. If there's a difference. We remember way back in chapter 6 when the fifth seal was open. We read, when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the Word of God and because of the testimony which they maintained. They cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? It was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. We, we, we saw the souls of those awaiting future resurrection of their bodies, just their disembodied souls, if you will, at this point, under the altar, crying out to God for their blood to be avenged on the earth, on those who had martyred them because of their faith. And they were given white robes, told to rest for a little while until all those to be killed would be killed. Presupposes, you see, that their Christians are going to continue to act like Christians. And there will be many uh, during the tribulation who will maintain their testimony in Jesus. They will refuse allegiance to the Antichrist. They will refuse the mark of the beast. And they will die for their faith. And so the, the vengeance of God upon their killers will be true and just and right, calling for the praise of his people, even as they rejoice that God's justice has been made known for all to see. That's a bit troubling. But my favorite commentator says it this way. Again, while a call to rejoice over the destruction of a whole group seems strange and offensive, other commentators even call it non-Christian, by the way, at first glance, we must realize that the overriding concern of the book is to defend the justice of God and vindicate the suffering saints. These people, the people that were reading Revelation that first got it, were suffering because they refused to bow the knee to the emperor and worship God only. Rejoicing occurs because divine justice is being served and because the oppressors of God's people are finally receiving what their evil deeds deserve. It, it, is this right? Is it perverse to, to, re, to rejoice? No. Understand, these unbelievers remain steadfast. We've seen that throughout the book in their sin, in the midst of the judgments, the fallenness of humanity in a broken world under the judgment of God as all creation groans, waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. Revealed, you see, by the judgment of those who oppose God and His people and revealed by the rejoicing of His people as they celebrate the cause 
of his true and righteous judgments. One commentator said it this way further. In other words, God's justice would be called into question if he did not judge Babylon. And don't forget, believers defeat Satan and his followers by the blood of the cross their own, their own, and their own blood in which they follow their Savior to death. Further, the last line of verse 20 could be translated, God has judged her for the way that she judged you. Because Babylon has condemned the saints in their courtroom, so they will in turn be condemned in God's courtroom. Finally, notice the praise comes after the judgment. That's important. Not before. Why does that matter? Because until the judgment, as we just prayed together, until the judgment, we share the hope of the gospel, even with those who oppose us. We pray for their salvation. But listen, after the judgment, as they have refused the remedy, the rescue, we celebrate the justice of God because He is making all things right. This is a moral universe, and it must be judged morally. We'll look at the phrase of all heaven and God's people in chapter 19 in just a moment. All right now, let's look at chapter 18, verses 21 to 24, for what I call the results of the destruction of Babylon. Look at that with me. The strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. And the, sounds of, and the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will, uh, uh, will not be heard in you any longer, and no craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer, any longer, like six times in these verses. And the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer, and the voice of the bridegroom and bride will not be heard in you any longer, for your, mer mer for your merchants were the great men, that's, a, uh, that, uh, that, that's a, a negative term, the great men of the earth, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and all who have been slain on the earth. So in chapter 17, that Babylon was made desolate, naked, eaten, uh, burned with fire. The beginning of this chapter, she's become a dwelling place for demons and unclean spirits, unclean animals, unclean birds. The picture is that of total annihilation, desolation. Nothing is fit to live there any longer. A strong angel performs a symbolic act. He takes a, a, a stone like a great millstone. This would not be the small uh, millstone found in kitchens at this time used by women. This would be a large millstone weighing several tons ro rolled over the grain by a beast of burden like a a donkey. He throws it into the sea. You can imagine that it would sink violently, immediately, never to be recovered. So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down. The great city. Stop right there. Will you notice how everyone keeps referring to her as the great city? I'm kind of getting tired of it. You see, she was great from a fallen, sinful perspective. Yeah, I guess it's like we refer to Las Vegas as the sin city, as if that's a badge of honor. They probably eat oysters too. <laughs> 
I had so many people offended by I. What is wrong with you people? This Babylon is the great city, great in leading the earth in sin and immorality and rebellion against God. And we remember the dirges from last week. The kings say, whoa, whoa, the great city, Babylon, the strong city. Uh, Verse 16, the merchants say, whoa, whoa, the great city. She was clothed in luxury. Uh, Verses 18 and 19, sailors say, as they see the smoke of her burning, what city is like the great city? Yeah, the one that's burning up. Is that what you want? Is that what we want? No. Whoa, whoa, the great city in which all became rich. Here's the point. Many today look to the great cities and nations and empires of this world in admiration. We admire it. What what a great city, a place of wealth and luxury and pleasure and sin and immorality and rebellion. And their destruction will come most assuredly. May not seem like it, of course. Everything seems to go on just as it has since the beginning of creation. Where is the promise of His coming? But the day of the Lord, we saw, will come like a thief. That is when no one is expecting it, living in, reveling in their sin and rebellion. People walking away from the faith, enjoying their sin. And and what consequences do they pay? This is not to be us, you see. We are to remain sober and alert to come out of her and not be lured by her enticements lest we participate in her destruction. Strong angel throws the great millstone into the sea saying, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. As a result, the resulting, the the next few verses uh, tell us five things that will never be seen in her again. The sound of harpists, musicians, Flute players, trumpeters will not be hurting you any longer. The sound of, of, of gaiety and music will be gone. Silence will reign. No craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. Admired for her great luxury and abundance, no one will even make a living there. All commerce will be gone. The sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. The sound of extravagance and feasting, certainly so. Even the sound of eating will not be heard. The light of a lamp will not shine any longer because there will be no one to light the lamp and no one will need it. Tree falls in the forest. If there's no one to hear it, does it make a noise? Does not matter? There'll be no one to see the light. The voice of the bridegroom, the bride will not be heard in you any longer. No merriment, no sounds of that which is most normal and joyous for life. All is no more. Because the merchants who provided all of this will be no more. These great men of the earth, a pejorative term again, will be no more. And further, Babylon will be no more because all of the nations were deceived by her sorcery. He's likely speaking of deception there. Last and certainly the greatest testament to her, her, to her iniquity was in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and all those who were slain because they were God's people, all those who were martyred on the earth. This seems so remote to us. We read this, we go, ah, I don't even, I can't relate to this. There is coming a day that we will. This will all be missing at the destruction of Babylon. But what will be found at her destruction? The rejoicing of heaven and even God's people on earth. We read about it in the first six verses of chapter 19, only because I want to get to chapter 19 today. Read it with me. 
After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous for he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, the sound of many waters, the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. It's great to be finally in chapter 19. Because I want you to understand, in this chapter, we will see the praise of heaven in response to the command of chapter 18, verse 20, to rejoice over the destruction of Babylon. The marriage supper of the Lamb. We'll see the coming of Jesus Christ. Remember, this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. We will see His coming in all of its glory. Uh, we will see the invitation to the great supper of God. A little gory, but we'll see it. And finally, we're going to see the battle of Armageddon, such as it is. And I know you want me to preach the whole chapter today. We'll simply look at this commanded praise in those first six verses and be done. After these things, the destruction of Babylon, the funeral dirges, John heard something like the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. Listen, we are supposed to notice the sharp contrast, feeble words, sharp contrast between the laments of earth dwellers and the praise of heaven. Listen, can there be any greater contrast than the laments of unbelievers at the destruction of evil and the praises of believers at the destruction of evil? You see the contrast? Laments on one hand, praises on the other. The only other place the great multitude in heaven is mentioned besides this passage is back in chapter 7 where we read these things. After these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, there it is, which no one could count, every nation, tribe, people, tongue, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, palm branches in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, loud voice, there it is again, saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This, they praise God for His salvation, largely in the book of, uh, in, in the book of Revelation, speaking of rescue. They're clothed in white robes, perhaps the same as those in chapter six who were given white robes and told to wait uh, uh, until their blood would be avenged. It appears the waiting is now finally over, and they say, "Hallelujah!" Stop right there. As you may know, the word hallelujah is a transliteration of two Hebrew words, hallel and yah. For, and it's translated, I think, 24 times in the book of, uh, of Psalms. Uh, it's translated, praise the Lord. Hallel, praise yah, Yahweh, praise the Lord. Here's a question for you to think about. Where all does the word, the word hallelujah appear in the New Testament? Only here in Revelation 19. I didn't know that. It shocked me. It appears four times in verses one to six, and it means praise the Lord. Hallel, Yah. 
Great multitude praises him for his salvation or rescue from their oppressors. Glory, which is a display of God's magnificent attributes, which includes his power. Interesting word. We remember Babylon. Remember? Remember? He's, it's called the great. Remember the kings of the earth said, whoa, the great city, the strong city, <laughs> the strong city burning up. You see, a few verses earlier, we read the Lord God who judges Babylon is strong. Same word. Same word. She thought herself strong. Others thought her strong, invincible. But God is a God of salvation to rescue his own, of glory and magnificent display of his attributes, which includes power, different word, same idea, because God alone is the Almighty. He's the strong God. And there will come a time when he says, enough is enough. Verse 2, he is to be praised in the demonstration of his omnipotent power because his judgments, notice, are true and righteous. We've seen that over and over. God's judgment of the wicked is true. That is morally true and valid and righteous. That is legally fair and just. What God pours out on the unrighteous is appropriate, right, just, and deserved. So... He has rightly judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth, leading the earth because she led the earth to idolatry and immorality. Further, he avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. Part of God's true and righteous judgment is giving those who killed his people what they rightly deserve and thereby avenge the blood of his people. Which leads to the second hallelujah, verse 3. And a second time they said, hallelujah. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And we look at that and go, is that a time to say hallelujah? Yeah, because we've lived a life of ease. And it has not cost us to be a Christian. Imagine the readers. Imagine the people going through the tribulation as believers. God is to be praised not only for his acts of judgment, but the duration of his judgment, which is forever and ever. It is absolutely final. Never again will Babylon and her ilk oppress God's people. We will see that in chapter 20, and it will be hard. Listen, it will be hard to hear. I don't want to minimize it. God's judgment of the unrighteous is eternal. And it is right. And it is to be praised. Leading to the third hallelujah, the coming, this coming from the 24 elders and the four living creatures, which is the last time that we see them in this book. These angelic beings closest to God fall down and worship uh, and worship and declare his praise, praise saying amen, which means so be it and hallelujah. Did you hear what I just said? Those closest to God to include the four living creatures who cease not day and night to say holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is uh, to come. The 24 elders who when they hear that they fall down in worship and cast their crowns before Him saying, worthy are You our Lord and our God to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things because of Your will they existed and were created. 
They cease not day and night to say that, which means in the hour or so that we've been here, how many times have they said it? Holy, holy, holy. And it seems when this righteous destruction of Babylon happens at some point in the future, the great multitude in heaven says, uh, says hallelujah, there will be a pause uh, in their eternal praise and together fall down and worship and cry out amen and hallelujah. I do not know about you, but I am convicted of my feeble and infrequent expressions of praise to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It is never ending You see, verse 5, and a voice came, this is why I feel convicted, and a voice came from the throne, not from God himself, based on what the voice says, one close to the throne under God's authority says, give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, both small and great. We're supposed to do this. We notice the next verse goes back to the great multitude. So likely this command is to his bond, to his bond servants to praise God is likely, likely directed to believers on earth. It's to us. Who is to praise him? All of his bond servants from the smallest to the greatest. Meaning he is deserving of praise from everyone. Especially those who name his name. Finally verse 6 and I heard something like Three things, the voice of a great multitude, probably the same multitude as in verse 1, the sound of many waters, meaning many cascading voices, and like the sound of many peals of thunder, again, loud and crashing voices. Does that, does that describe your praise? Loud and crashing voices saying hallelujah, the fourth and final hallelujah in the entire New Testament. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Ten times the title Almighty appears in the New Testament. Ten times in the New Testament, nine of them are in this book. Done. While Babylon now destroyed, while the red dragon, Satan, while the beast from the sea, the Antichrist, while the beast from the earth, the false prophet, while the federation of ten kings representing all nations and people opposing God, while they think themselves indestructible, they think themselves the captain of their own souls, the masters of their own destiny, reveling in their own idolatry, immorality, and arrogant rebellion, there is only one who reigns, the Lord our God, the Almighty. And He and He alone is worthy of our praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's stand for prayer. Hallelujah. The the, the word means praise the Lord. Praise Yahweh. And we're we're commanded to do that. And, And we see the praise of heaven is loud and boisterous. We see it as directed toward the only one who is almighty. And when we see why we have been delivered from your vengeance, which is due us, we have been delivered by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. When we see the judgment to come against those who would deny him, how can we respond in any other way but hallelujah? Praise the Lord. Father, forgive us for our self-centered 
lives, for our arrogance, for our feeble praise, would you make us a praising people, a people who live to praise the Lord and recognize we have much, infinitely much for which to praise you. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.